0: Hello, welcome to another episode of Freaking Out, about opening day with Randy Freaking, the podcast about the history and celebrations of Cincinnati's most revered non-religious holiday. We call this episode, The Holiday Explodes, as we relive years 2011 to 2018, which saw the opening day party in Cincinnati grow to unprecedented levels. We start with 2011, which is titled Health Concerns. Coming off of a division championship season in 2010, Reds fans looked forward to a successful 2011 opener and season. Health concerns soon consumed them during spring training. The Reds believed they were deep in pitching talent, but suddenly two starters landed on the disabled list. Johnny Cueto, and Homer Bailey. A third pitcher, reliever Jared Burton, would not pitch for at least two weeks, and a fourth, starter Bronson Arroyo, was dealing with mononucleosis. These concerns detracted from Cincinnatians' excitement about how the Banks was taking shape next to the ballparks. Plans called for 1,800 apartments and condos up to five hotels, an office tower, and at least 200,000 square feet of shops, restaurants, bars, and entertainment venues. The Holy Grail Bar would be the first business to welcome fans by opening day. Now, the rest of downtown was also in the midst of a renaissance, including a renovation of Washington Park in Over the Rhine and completion of the 41-story great American tower that capped off the skyline with its distinctive tiara. After more than 15 years of decline, the downtown area and over the Rhine, rebranded as simply OTR, became a destination for residents and tourists alike. Suddenly, at least 38 bars and restaurants were ready to celebrate the opener within walking distance of the park. One, Arnold's Bar and Grill, was 10 blocks away. It had opened eight years before the Red Stockings took the field in 1869 and celebrated its 150-year anniversary in 2011. It remains the city's oldest eatery and bar. With all this activity swirling around the ballpark, opening day fever reached a high point. Michael and David Schuster, local architects, circulated petitions along the parade route and outside the ballpark to make the annual Rite of Spring an official city holiday. Joe Morgan, a member of the Big Red Machine and arguably the greatest second baseman of all time, was a huge draw for the parade when he was named Grand Marshal. Some business owners worried that attendance might decline because the opener was on a Thursday instead of the customary Monday. Now those fears were misplaced as more people poured onto the downtown sidewalks than had in 2010. Following Morgan in the procession were Reds pitchers Travis Wood and Mike Leake, active pitchers on the team participating in the parade. In the pregame ceremony, Reds first baseman Joey Votto was presented with his 2010 Most Valuable Player trophy, and a highlight of the program was a video tribute to former Reds manager Sparky Anderson. He had passed away on November 4. Public address announcer Joe Zariusen reminded the crowd that Anderson was not only the first manager to win the World Series with teams from both leagues, but that he was also, quote, one of the greatest humanitarians the game has ever known, unquote. When the tribute ended, the Reds unveiled a sign that read, quote, Sparky, 1934-2010, unquote, that would hang during the season above the Reds' bullpen, appropriately enough, because They were commemorating a manager known as Captain Hook because of his penchant for going to the bullpen and using relief pitchers. The Reds wore a patch on the left sleeves of their uniforms in honor of Sparky. Retired Cincinnati Police Chief Tom Stryker then threw out the ceremonial first pitch, which, of course, sailed over the head of his catcher, Joe Morgan. The game itself was a thriller. Ramon Hernandez hit a three run homer in the bottom of the ninth inning for another walk off victory in an opener. The Reds topped the Brewers 7 6. Unfortunately, Bailey and Cueto would each miss 15 starts during the rest of the season, and the Reds failed to repeat as division champions. Now we move on to 2012. We call this year. Votto goes to the banks. Reds fans believe 2011 was an aberration due to bad luck with the pitching staff, and they hoped that the Reds' off-season moves would bring big dividends. The city council voted unanimously for opening day to be recognized as a ceremonial holiday, whatever that meant, but it certainly was not a paid holiday for city workers. All of a sudden, there was an abundance of events competing for fans' pregame attention. Of course, there was the annual two-hour parade that would draw tens of thousands. Then there was the party on Fountain Square that included live music, followed by the game being shown on the big screen above Macy's. On the riverfront, a seven-hour festival with food, drinks, and music was to take place on the Schmidlap event lawn in the new Schmale Riverfront Park. The park perked up the previously drab shoreline of the Ohio River. In the Banks Entertainment Area, even more bars and restaurants had opened in time for the 2012 opener. Most significantly, a new tradition was born on the streets outside the park a block party. That would draw thousands between the end of the parade and the first pitch. The block party benefited the Reds Community Fund, a nonprofit that seeks to improve the lives of young people through baseball. The mob outside the ballpark filled several blocks as fans listened to music by, frankly speaking, and enjoyed ice cold beer. Without question, 2012. Was the largest party on any single day in Cincinnati history. On the internet, game tickets were being hawked at prices ranging from $140 to $600. Joey Votto, a reserved, introverted star known for his intellectual approach to hitting, became the face of the franchise. He was the league's MVP in 2010 and in 2011 he became the first Reds first baseman to win a gold glove. Hard to believe it took that long for a Reds first baseman to win a gold glove. That was 130 or 40 years, but I guess they didn't start the award until the mid-20th century. In any event, two days before the Thursday April 4 opener, Votto was dressed in a dark three-piece suit and he promoted a new breakfast cereal called Vato's. The product was a honey nut toasted oat cereal in a limited edition collector's box featuring a drawing of Vato in action. On the eve of the opener, the Reds held a press conference at which Bob Caslini announced his next gamble. He was, quote, all in, unquote, with Vato and signed him to a 10-year deal worth $225 million. The huge contract for a player in a small market was a talk of fans throughout the day. The parade route was jammed with optimistic fans. ESPN baseball announcer Aaron Boone was the Grand Marshal. He had played with the Reds for seven seasons. In his first two seasons, in 97 and 1998, he played alongside his brother, Brett. And in his last three seasons, his father, Bob, was the manager. The Boones were still popular. Behind Boone were more than 200 parade entries. There was a make-it-official float carrying Mike Schuster and Councilman Wendell Young, who had spearheaded the effort to make opening day a holiday. Four U.S. Army soldiers in camouflage units chauffeured soldiers from the Wounded Warrior Project. While the block party continued in the banks, the pregame ceremonies featured Miss Ohio 2012, Audrey Bolte of Batavia, Ohio. She delivered the ceremonial first pitch to the retiring sheriff of Hamilton County, Simon Lease, Jr., Lees had been sheriff for 25 years after previously serving the county as a prosecutor and judge. Senator Rob Portman was honorary captain of the Reds for the day. Everyone was having a good time of the game except for the Miami Marlins. Vado collected a hit and a walk, Jay Bruce hit a home run, and Johnny Cueto pitched seven scoreless innings. The Reds cruised to a four to nothing shutout win. The crowd of forty-two thousand nine hundred and fifty nine set a record for attendance, and the team would go on to replicate the success of the nineteen seventies Big Red Machine, winning ninety-seven games. They traveled to San Francisco to open the playoffs and breezed to two easy wins. Disaster struck at home when the Giants eliminated the Reds with a three-game sweep. Reds fans spent the winter with a severe case of indigestion. Castellini may have been all-in on the Reds, but they were declared all-out of the chase for the pennant. Now we move on to 2013, and we call that Unfinished Business. The prevailing mood in Cincinnati as April 1, 2013 approached was that the Reds needed to finish their drive to a championship. Reds management had done their part, increasing the club's payroll to over $100 million for the first time. Now, many fans prefer to compare opening day to Christmas morning. In 2013, it was an apt comparison as stray morning snowflakes put people in the holiday spirit. The official festivities started at 11 o'clock a.m. with the second annual Reds Community Fund charity block party on Joe Nuxall Way and Freedom Way in the Banks. Finley Market organizers expected 100,000 people to line the streets to watch 189 entries, including 13 marching bands, and the parade lineup was led by Reds Hall of Famer George Foster. He was the National League's most valuable player in 1977, played 11 of his 18 seasons with the Reds, and remained a popular figure who was active in the community and the Reds' organization. Two dignitaries, Chief Warrant Officer S. Allen Hartley of Fairfield, Ohio, and the father of Lance Corporal Taylor Prasinski, joined Foster. Hartley lost the use of his legs while serving in Afghanistan, and Pruszynski had been killed in Iraq eight years earlier. The crowd gave Hartley and Pruszynski's father a rousing ovation. Another crowd-pleaser was Teddy Kramer. Kramer was 30 and from White Oak, Ohio, and he has Down syndrome. He was a guest bat boy during a game in the previous season, and he bonded with Reds players and became a crowd favorite. Kramer waved from his perch in a convertible. There was also a restored tallyho wagon that had carried players to Crosley Field on opening day in 1920. A team of eight world renowned Budweiser Clydesdales returned once again, hitched to a beer wagon. The Clydesdales had been a Budweiser symbol since 1933. Jump ropers from Anderson Township entertained the crowd with their ropes and pogo sticks. Wounded heroes were the first honorees in pregame ceremonies. They were recognized by senders Rob Portman and Sherrod Brown. Members of the nation's oldest professional fire department, Cincinnati's own, unfurled a giant American flag as the Angels and Reds were introduced. The festivities turned somber as a moment of silence was observed for the 26 innocent victims of the December 14 shooting spree at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut. Cincinnati firefighter John Winfrey then stirred the crowd with a beautiful rendition of the national anthem capped off by a flyover by two T-28 Trojans and one B-25 Mitchell. Former New York Yankee manager Joe Torre, the manager of Team USA in the recently concluded World Baseball Classic, tossed out the ceremonial first pitch. For the game, the teams were tied 1-1 after nine innings, but the Angels eventually prevailed in 13 innings. Now, it's noteworthy that this opener was the last one for Reds clubhouse chief Bernie Stowe. The Delhi Township resident, then 78, had not missed an opening day since Harry Truman was president 67 years earlier. He started as a bat boy for the Reds at age 11 and went on to become one of the most beloved employees in the history of the franchise. Okay, we move on to 2014, and we simply call this aberration. Over the 2014 winter, Reds fans were debating whether the club could top the 90 win mark for the fourth time in five years. There were questions in abundance not the least of which was whether the team was better off with a rookie manager in Brian Price or the veteran Dusty Baker, whom the club had discarded impetuously, or so it seemed, after a pretty good season. I think the Reds have lived to regret that decision. True, the Reds had lost 4-2 to in their 2013 wild card game, but you could hardly hang that on Dusty Baker. The Reds made another move over the winter that left fans scratching their heads. Homer Bailey, a former first-round pick who had few noteworthy accomplishments during his career other than two no-hitters, was offered and accepted a six-year contract worth $105 million. That deal would come back to haunt the Reds for several years. In any event, parties and Reds-related events took over the town during the weekend before the opener. On Friday, a four-week display of artwork debuted in Covington, Kentucky, touching on the themes of baseball, Cincinnati, and opening day. Named 199C, the exhibit featured artwork inside the building and various activities outside the building including street wiffle ball, live music, vintage video game competitions, a live art installation, and food trucks, of course. On Saturday night, there was a baseball art and memorabilia party at Christian Moorline Brewery and the opening day eve benefit party once again at the Phoenix Event Center. On Sunday, local sports writer C. Trent Rosecrans hosted an opening day eve extravaganza at Motor Pub called the C.Dot Show. On Monday, other parties in various locations from OTR to Mount Adams to Northern Kentucky to the Banks started earlier in the day and were better attended than ever before. Opening day was becoming exponentially more than just the parade and the game. Parties and early morning tavern openings had always been part of the holiday, but this seemed like an explosion of interest. With the sun shining and the thermometer reading 66 degrees on the morning of opening day, there were no excuses for staying home from the parade. Big Red Machine shortstop Davey Concepcion was the Grand Marshal, and he was joined by Teddy Kramer, Honorary Grand Marshal. Along the route, Kramer received a welcome that nearly equaled that for Concepcion. Mr. Red strolled along sporting his patented smile and Jim Tarbell was back impersonating Peanut Jim Shelton. Once again, the lawnmower specialist of the Wapakoneta Optimist Precision Lawnmower Drill Team reprised their fancy footwork. The marching bands returned in force and accordion player John Keene performed on a float. The most creative float seemed particularly appropriate as the Reds' nemesis, the St. Louis Cardinals, were this year's opponent. A group from Goshen, Ohio, crafted a Goshen Horse Thief Detectives float. The crowd sparred with the six jailbirds in the cage who were dressed in Cardinal uniforms. The pregame festivities were highlighted by two great shortstops. Barry Larkin grew up in Cincinnati watching the Grand Marshal Concepcion play shortstop for the Big Red Machine. Larkin had gone on to an 18-year career with the Reds that landed him in the Reds' Hall of Fame in 2008 and in the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown in 2012. On this day, the Reds selected the two great infielders to throw out the first pitch simultaneously. The crowd went wild as both players were beloved. Speaking of which, another hometown boy had the honor of handing the lineup card to the umpires at home plate. He was Mayor John Cranley. Billy Hamilton, hailed as a player who would wreak havoc on the base pass with his blazing speed, received one of the loudest ovations when the players were introduced. The Reds went on to lose one to nothing, in an excruciatingly frustrating loss. The loss broke the streak of 60 opening day games in which the Reds had scored at least one run. A disappointing loss, but it was a perfect day for an opener. And Enquirer columnist John Faraday summed it all up eloquently. Quote, the noon parade through the streets of Cincinnati was a celebration of spring. It was a day so ideal, after a winter so withering, that it almost felt pretend. The team will play 162 of these games this season, and it is likely that few fans will recall the particulars, the frustrations of Monday's one to nothing loss. But the day itself they will remember. The warm breeze and bright sun, that will stay with them." Unquote. The offseason would be dominated by questions about the strategic direction of the club. Should they rebuild, or was 2014 an aberration? So we move on to 2015, and we call this time to rebuild. Reds manager Brian Price took 2014 in stride. Price declared, quote, internally, We feel very good about our ability to win our division and win throughout the league, unquote. Votto agreed, calling 2014 an aberration. In addition, the Reds invested $5 million in improvements to the ballpark in anticipation of the All-Star game being played in Cincinnati that July. Tickets were not the only thing in high demand. Applications to participate in the annual parade hit an all-time high of 300 and parade organizers had to turn away 100 potential entries. The result was the most engaging procession in history with more floats and, most importantly, many professionally made floats. The day's agenda, though, did not start with the parade. There were the usual early morning tavern openings, and Arnold's Bar and Grill was always a traditional headquarters for opening-day Reds aficionados, including the Burns family of Anderson Township. The city's oldest eatery opened its doors at 9 o'clock a.m., offering nine hard-to-find beers on tap and hosting its annual trivia contest. An hour later, the Reds' Hall of Fame and Museum open to accommodate families and other sober patrons as they came out to enjoy the festivities. At 11 o'clock, Fountain Square became the site for live music and a pep rally called Rally on the Square. The Phoenix welcomed back customers who wanted to watch the parade from ringside seats along Race Street. The opening day block party benefiting the Reds Community Fund opened its taps and offered live music and entertainment for the next five hours. Funky G and the Groove Machine got the crowd dancing early to the Commodore's Brick House. Up in OTR, the band Glory Days kicked off the celebration in Washington Park, a premier spot for viewing the parade. Across the river in Newport, the German-themed House had its house-brewed beer on tap. There were various contests and drawings all day, not to mention bratwurst and schnitzel. The party was on, and spectators and fans had plenty of options. Up at Finley Market, the marching bands were lining up. Various bands started bumping into each other, and in the spirit of the day, the members formed instrument groups with musicians from other bands. An observer noted that it looked like a symphonic dating ritual. The Day's Grand Marshals were a famous trio in Red's history, the relief corps of Rob Dibble, Randy Myers, and Norm Charlton, known as the Nasty Boys from their famous 1990 championship season. They were unhittable during the 1990 Wire-to-Wire championship season and World Series. Police on motorcycles had normally been first in line to lead the parade, but the organizers decided to add some additional firepower. Rossi's famous fireworks, the company responsible for the rockets at the ballpark that celebrated home runs and victories, sparked the procession with a ground-level fireworks display along the route that was a block ahead of the police. The Nasty Boys followed and they were met with screams of wire to wire. Further back, wooden carousel characters entertained the old and young at heart. Ray Wegman and his family had entered their Belgian draft horses in the parade since the days of Crosley Field. Two of the horses pulled a free peat wagon filled with party goers blowing horns and shooting streamers as if it was New Year's Eve. On the one side of the wagon, a banner proclaimed, Free Pete, and on the other, Happy New Year. This year, Wegman, age 82, had also secured a tally-ho carriage that he had coveted for more than 50 years. The carriage once belonged to James Gamble, son of the founder of Cincinnati-based Procter & Gamble and the inventor of ivory soap. Wagman had spent the winter restoring the carriage. The refurbished carriage was paired with another Tallyho wagon that the Wagman family had entered in the procession for decades. The Wegmans also paraded a horse-drawn Wiedemann Brewery wagon that had been used to deliver beer around Cincinnati. In the midst of the horses and their handlers, the 2015 Bockfest Sausage Queen... Pam Kravitz smiled and waved at her admirers along the route. The Hamilton County Sheriff's Office marching band wore their traditional kilts, described as man skirts by one mother to her son. The red stockings and vintage uniforms were well represented once again. The lawnmower guys did their choreographed routine. And a poodle named Stewart strutted his stuff with his hair dyed a magnificent red. All in all, it was an all-star spectacle worthy of an all-star year. At the ballpark, thirsty fans headed to bootleggers, one of the improvements Phil Castellini made to the ballpark's concourse. Bootleggers' facade and wood bars were modeled after Wheeler's Cafe, an OTR saloon that was home to Cincinnati's political puppeteer, George Boss Cox, in the early 20th century. Pre-game ceremonies featured U.S. Navy Reserve members unfurling a giant American flag during the national anthem, which was sung by Marlana Van Hoos. The Navy Reserves were celebrating their 100th anniversary. Van Hoos, the singer, hailed from... Denver, Kentucky, and she was blind. Once the ovation died down after Van Hoose's stirring rendition, another erupted as the Nasty Boys took the mound once again. This was actually the first time they did so as a group and threw three ceremonial first pitches. Even before the first batter had stepped to the plate, everything about this opener was off the charts. What could make the day any better? Well, Reds third baseman Todd Frazier launched a mammoth upper deck three-run home run in the eighth inning, leading the Reds to a 5-2 win over the Pirates. Another record crowd, this time 43,363, danced out of the ballpark. The feat presaged a remarkable first half of the season by Frazier. He was selected to appear in the home run derby conducted by MLB on the Monday evening preceding the Tuesday All-Star Game. The hometown hero electrified a standing-room-only crowd with a stunning power display to win the Derby. The noise emanating from the ballpark was said to be heard a mile away at Mount Adams' historic rooftop bars. Fraser's power surge, however, would be the highlight of the 2016 season for Reds fans. Price and his inner circle went back to the drawing board. So here we go to 2016, and we call this campaign promises because it was in the midst of the presidential campaign. Opening day on April 4, 2016 in Reds country, saw the fans looking for on-the-field candidates who could give them hope for a brighter future. After boom times earlier in the decade, the Reds were in the midst of a recession. Reds officials had a choice to make. Continued to believe that their core of players could compete or else accept the advice of local and national pundits and commit to a rebuilding process. In their campaign, the win-back fans the team's president of baseball operations, Walt Jockety, and general manager Dick Williams made the hard decision to publicly commit to rebuild. They were ready to say it out loud even though the confession would send a message to fans that the Reds would not compete in 2016. Barring a miracle, they would not even be competitive for a few years beyond 2016 As well. Management's plan for rebuilding was published on the evening of the April four opener. Fans were nonetheless in good spirits, and the previous year's raft of parties came back in force. Washington Park, the banks, and Fountain Square were full, as were several other venues. Of note, Arnold's featured appearance by Jeremy Dubin and Justin McCombs of the Cincinnati Shakespeare Company. They performed Casey at the Bat and Who's on First. Jim Tarbell, also known as Peanut Jim Shelton for his impersonations of the famous peanut vendor, played the mouth harp while more than 100 prizes were given away, including autographed baseball cards and memorabilia that had been used in games. Kegs and eggs were on the menu at Rheingeist Brewery. WLW continued its tradition of broadcasting live from the Holy Grail across from the ballpark entrance. Parties continued throughout the day, with some patrons sneaking off to the parade and others waiting for the game to start at four o'clock. The number of applicants for the parade was down from the record number in 2015, but there was another impressive array of floats, vehicles, and performers. The Grand Marshal, was the manager of the 1990 World Champions, Lou Pinella, who wore his signature broad grin. Pinella had managed the Reds from 1990 to 1992, and he now served as a consultant to the club. Pitchers Brandon Finnegan and Alfredo Simon represented the current Reds players, while former second baseman Ron Oster stood in for players of old. Oster played his entire 13-year career in the big leagues with the Reds winning MLB's prestigious Hutch Award in 1988 Another sports dignitary came from a different sport he was Anthony Muñoz Muñoz was the most decorated former Cincinnati Bengal and remained a popular resident of Cincinnati He is the only Bengal to be enshrined in the NFL's Hall of Fame He was also honored as a member of the NFL's 75th anniversary team in 1994. Also marching along and waving, mostly to the children, were the various Reds' mascots. Rosie Red, Gapper, Mr. Red, and Mr. Redlegs. The Red Hot Dancing Queens, a diverse adult dance crew, strutted their stuff. They yelled, quote, We are red hot and love to dress up, have fun, and dance in the streets, unquote. The streets were again lined with spectators five to ten people deep, with even more packing Washington Park and Fountain Square. While it was a rebuilding year for the team, at least the parade was still going strong. Inside Great American Ballpark, there were the traditional pregame ceremonies, Complete with Lou Pinella throwing a perfect strike, Votto's RBI single in the eighth inning gave the Reds a two-run lead and route to a second consecutive win in the opener. It was another comeback, this time six to two over the Phillies. Two thousand and seventeen, the rebuild continues. The best that Reds fans could hope for in 2017 was a more competitive team. The town was discouraged by two consecutive last-place finishes. A seemingly inconsequential acquisition of second baseman Scooter Jeanette two weeks before the opener did not change the outlook. Jeanette was a Cincinnati native who had been cast aside by the Milwaukee Brewers. The Reds had traded popular second baseman Brandon Phillips to make room for Jose Peraza. Peraza had been part of the earlier Todd Frazier trade, and he was destined for second base. Jeanette was slotted for a utility role. Hope springs eternal on opening day, but fans did not have much faith after the departures of Bruce and Phillips. Only Votto remained from the playoff teams of 2010 to 2013. In light of a pessimistic Reds fan base, the Finley market organizers smartly chose one of the most popular Reds players in a generation to serve as Grand Marshal, Sean Casey, also known as the Mayor. Casey played with the Reds for eight seasons, leading the team in hitting six times while being selected as an All-Star in three of those seasons. After retiring, Casey was inducted into the Reds' Hall of Fame in 2012. Following recent tradition, the Reds had two current players participate in the parade as well. Pitcher Rookie Davis, who had been acquired in the trade with the New York Yankees for Araldis Chapman, not the best trade of all time, and fellow pitcher Robert Stevenson. Stevenson was the Reds' first-round draft pick in 2011 and had worked his way up through the farm system, but he had not yet fulfilled the promise associated with his high draft selection. The two young pitchers were being counted on as the rebuilding continued. Former pitcher Tom Browning was the guest of the Federation of Lutheran Churches of Cincinnati. He pitched the only perfect game in Reds' history, and once famously escaped to a rooftop venue outside Chicago's Wrigley Field during a game, earning a fine of $1,000 from manager Davey Johnson, who was not impressed with the stunt. The parade was a hit as always, as were the other parties around town. Pre game ceremonies were highlighted by Marlena Van Hoos' return to sing the national anthem, another F 16 flyover, and Casey's introduction as the honorary Reds captain. During the game, Phil Castellini introduced his favorite fan attraction, Redzilla. Redzilla is an ATV that contained the first-ever triple-barrel souvenir launcher for shooting souvenir items high into the stands as it circled the field during one of the half-inning breaks and after each win. As for the game itself... The utility player signed just the previous week, Scooter Jeanette, came off the bench. His two-run home run in the ninth inning highlighted another comeback attempt by the Reds, but the Reds still came up short. Milwaukee won 4-3. to three. Okay, we're going to move to our last year in this episode, and that's 2018. And we call this one Rebuilding Fatigue. After four consecutive seasons during which the Reds averaged fewer than 70 wins per season and never finished higher than fourth in their five team division, Reds fans were becoming disenchanted with the rebuilding efforts. To make matters worse, MLB decided the season would start on Holy Thursday just three days before Easter and the earliest date ever. No opener had ever been scheduled in the days leading up to the Christian holiday. And since the proprietors of Finley Market establishments could not operate their businesses while the parade was going on, and because they typically saw a big bump in revenues during Holy Week, the merchants did not want to give up a day of sales to conduct the parade on Holy Thursday. There was also the issue of Holy Thursday being a sacred Christian holiday that many fans would choose to observe rather than turn out for a parade. Because Monday, with a few recent exceptions, had traditionally been the day of the week when opening day was held, the market parade organizers simply decided their parade would be on the Monday following the first game. MLB, after all, was not going to dictate the schedule of the parade to Findlay Market. Cincinnatians were confused. Is the holiday Thursday, March 29, or is it Monday, April 2? Well, the answer was pretty simple. Both days. Businesses planned all-day events Thursday and Monday, and there was even a five-day party hosted by Taft's Ale House, Washington Park, and the Cincinnati Center City Development Corporation, also known as 3CDC. On March 29, there would be a family-friendly celebration on Fountain Square with live music and food trucks beginning at 11 a.m. and lasting at least until the final out of the 4-10 game with the Washington Nationals. For their part, the Reds reprised their annual charity block party with live entertainment headlined by the Naked Karate Girls. As in previous years, many bars and eateries hosted parties on Thursday as well. Now, plans would change, however, when the bleak weather forecast for Thursday forced the Reds to postpone the game until the next day, Good Friday. That change created another stir, because many Christians observed Good Friday as an even holier day than Holy Thursday the Reds reluctantly announced the delay on Wednesday so fans could make necessary plans. Reds' chief operating officer, Phil Castellini, apologized to anyone affected in a negative way, announcing that concession stands would sell fish sandwiches to accommodate Lenten traditions. He also said ticket holders could attend another game of their choice if they preferred. It was the first postponement of opening day since the death of umpire John McSherry resulted in a one-day delay in 1996. Prior to that, the most recent postponement was when the entire three-game series was washed out in 1966. All of the events planned for Thursday were shifted to Friday, and the crowds came out in force for the block party and events around town. There were pregame parties at Rhinegeist Brewery, Fountain Square, and on the streets in Covington, Kentucky. Mr. Perfect, former Reds pitcher Tom Browning, opened his new tavern, Browning's on York, that morning. There were cloudy skies, but the rain held off. The pregame festivities went off without a hitch. The Clydesdales arrived at the ballpark on time for their usual prance around the park, and there was a moment of silence for departed members of the Reds' family of staff and players, and singer-songwriter Nicky Bloom belted out the national anthem. Two F-16 fighter Falcons soared over the ballpark as area firefighters displayed the giant flag on the field. Indiana native and Olympic gold medalist in men's slope style, Nick Gepper, tossed out the ceremonial first pitch to Reds catcher Devin Mesoraco. The game? The Nationals beat the Reds two to nothing before another record crowd, this time, 43,787. Unfortunately, the team stumbled out of the gate and was swept in the weekend series. Many speculated whether interest in the parade would wane because of the club's shaky start, but those concerns were erased as tens of thousands celebrated a second holiday before the Monday afternoon game against the Cubs. Grand Marshals Danny Graves and Sam LeCure, both former Reds pitchers, received warm welcomes from the throngs lining the streets. Behind them were 187 parade units of every variety. One of the many prized entries was the Hamilton County chapter of the Ohio Horsemen's Council. That organization brought dressed-up miniature horses and the crowd loved them. The block party outside the park was packed just as it had been on Friday. The Monday afternoon game commenced with no pregame pomp and circumstance, and unfortunately the Reds dropped their fourth consecutive game. The good news? Two opening days worked out just fine and had hefty crowds on both occasions. The fans enjoyed four days of parties in a most unusual opening weekend. Well, there you have it. The history of opening days from 2011 to 2018. Started off with a bang for the team with successful playoffs uh, runs anyway, no championships, and then four to five years of rebuilding. In our next episode, we will finish our series With the events of the 2019 opener, the 2020 COVID postponed opener, and then we will wrap it all up with thoughts about the rich history of Cincinnati's opening day holiday. This is Randy Freaking signing off, and in the immortal words of Marty Brenneman, so long everybody.